Hey, appreciate y'all tuning in to another episode of the Blizzard's Ignorant Podcast, man. Uh, this week, man, I am uh, joined by one of the OGs in this comedy game, man. Listen, man, um, a lot of people are not recognized by one name, but this dude came in the game recognized by one name and uh, is a comedic beast, one of the kings of comedy in New York. And uh, I, I can't even give the introduction any justice, man. So without further ado, man, I'd like to welcome Talent to the Blizzard's Ignorant Podcast, man. What's going on, Talent? What up, sir? It's good to be here, man. It's good to be on with you, man. No, no doubt, man. Um, so I, I've been doing comedy um 15 years and never thought that I would be doing comedy. I never thought in a million years that I would do stand-up comedy. But I'm going to take you back to early 90s. Okay. I was living, I'm originally from South Jersey. So, you know, entertainment-wise, we go to Philadelphia, go to South Street. One evening, I'm with this little young, young little fine honey, whatever. I was like, yo, let's let's do something different. Let's go to a comedy show. So we go to the <laughs> Laugh House, right? We go up in the Laugh House. And wow. you were there. And I was, the, I was on the door like, yo, this dude is funny just by the way he's talking, right? And Mike Brooks was there. Like, I never thought in a million years that I would do comedy, right? And then, like, you know, eight, ten years later, here I am, I'm doing comedy. And it was, it was a trip for me because... Just just your comfortability on stage. And one of the things that I always remember, even when I started doing comedy, was if you look like you're having a conversation, it don't even seem like it's work. Right. And it doesn't seem like you're trying to be funny. And uh, you just had this. Uh, you, you, it was just you, it was just comedy. It's just comedy was your, was right. your mind at that moment. But the other thing is and I've always felt like, yo, Heineken should have gave you like mad endorsement money. Oh, they did, though. They did. <laughs> shout, out, shout out to Heineken. They they've been endorsing. It was actually the first endorsers. They endorsed me back when MySpace was popping. You know right. what I mean? It's right. just comedy. Just, uh, this next year, thirty years in the game. See, it's its own brand. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Check it out. Like it's it's its own brand. So we right. got this on everything from coffee mugs to t shirts to hoodies to hats to towels to glasses. And I mean, you know, we just took it and ran with it um, right you know, because it's a, it's a classic branding you know and everything but yo when you started comedy you gotta realize something you, you hit the nail on the head uh longevity lies in relatability and the thing i've learned is if you can naturally come off and do comedy like a conversation mm. that's there is no bigger way to relate to people because everybody every skin color every walk of life every gender every uh nation we all have conversations right so if you can if you can present it that way naturally then like you you know you can last forever absolutely absolutely and uh you know i um i always appreciated the fact that i mean being in new york i mean um the the enviability of of being in new york is the fact that you can actually step on stage every single night if you want to multiple times every single night if you want to so yeah. the fact that you can sharpen your sword as much as you can in new york is huge and it's like you really don't even have to leave if you don't want to. But when you bounce out and you go across this country with the with the stuff that you have, sometimes it handicaps a comedian. Sometimes they they fly with it. Uh, and when I say handicap, I mean the box that New York's it, New York is as far as the living space, how things run different from if you went I don't know to uh, Florida and you got. Right. 20 minutes of the subway material. And like, yo, that ain't going to fly down there. You know what I mean? Like, it is like the cat. But what they that's gotta like bring. anything else. That's like, yeah. uh, you have to plan for, you know that you're going to be, if, you, if you're going to do anything in this game, you're going to make everybody laugh outside of New York. So right. you shouldn't be writing and honing your skills on local material. Right. Like, if, what the word in, in comedy, we call it universal. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care where you're from, you should be working on universal material that, again, relatability is the number one thing in stand-up comedy. Mm. So you got to pick those things you're going to talk about that's going to be relatable, whether you say it on 125th Street or you say it in Tuscaloosa. Right. You know what I mean? Right. right. And that, that's, that's really, it's not about being where you are. It's about you and what you're writing and what you're purveying and, and, and your material. You know, what is your subject matter? Is your, is your subject matter all about the number two train on the subway? Then, yeah, you're going to be pigeonholed. Yeah. But New York is the best place to do stand-up for two reasons. One, you named it. That, the accessibility is crazy. You can go on stage every night. But more importantly than that is it's a it's a toughening 
market. It makes you a different kind of comedy tough. Yeah. Um, when I when I roll around the country and tour and work on shows with a lot of my comrades and counterparts and stuff like that, especially in Cali, it, it just doesn't hone you to that toughness. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, every other other place that you need for them to be quiet and listen to hear the humor. New York toughens you up to the point where if they loud, you can get loud. If they quiet, you can tell it quiet. If they fast, right. fast. If they slow, you slow. You know, so, you, you know, you need sound, you need sound. You need music, you need music. New York does that to you. So it forces you to be a lot tougher at the game of stand-up comedy so you can play the rough places, the good places, the bad places. You know, so that's the best part to me about New York opposed to anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think uh, if I bring your name up to most comedians, what a lot of people will tell you is Beast, but then they'll be like, yo, he'll host the hell out of a damn show. And it's funny because hosting is, is looked down upon a lot of people. Uh, but I don't I don't look at it that way. Uh, I, early on when I first started doing comedy, obviously you get the hosting spots. You got to host all the time. You got to do these. You got to do that. But a comedian came to me one time. He was a headliner. And he said, when you hosting, you you act like it's your show. And you you bringing your friends to the stage to make them laugh. He's like, now if you go up on stage with that attitude, even if it's not your show, if you go up on stage with that attitude, the, the audience will will embrace you because of your beginning of the set. And then they'll trust you with whoever you bring to the stage, whether they're funny or not. Like, yo, man, this is my man coming to the stage. Y'all y'all give it up, you know, and things like that. So I always appreciate a good host. But you appreciate a good host more when you get a bad host. <laughs> like, like you go, you got a, you got a bad host and like everybody's working extra hard because the host is so tor- terrible. Like people don't look at the, li- the little nuances of comedy shows. They don't know what we right. go through um, as far as I didn't think I was going to have to work this hard tonight. But now I got to work double hard because you so horrible. You know what I mean? And, and, and those yeah. things. And well, I, I um, be honest with you, like hosting the media, that's how I got good to me. Uh-huh. To me, that's how you got good because you get more practice time. It's like a team that practices more than another team. They're usually going to be better because they, they're staying on the roller skates. You know what I mean? Like the team mm-hmm. that only practices once a week, they're not as cohesive as the team that practices every day. And that's what hosting does for you. It allows you to be on stage more. Even if it's working on five, seven minutes in between spots, it's, it's still working out. It's still getting reps in. Um, the host of a show is just as important as the headliner because the host, the headliner is closing it out. So, but the host is the glue and he sets the tone. Like a, a good host, like I'm the type of host where most people, whether it's my show or not, people will give me the job of probably putting the lineup together, right? Right. So, no, being that I know everybody and I can play it out in my head and go in the order that makes the show look perfect, you know, that's my job to be the glue of that, to put that together and to keep it maintained at a certain stature till we get to this guy that we're here to see that's going to close it out and bring it home because that whole ride in between, if that glue is bad, by the time you get to him, they might not give him a chance. Right. Right. And we've all been in that situation before too. Yeah. Um, you know, you go to the rooms and they got seven comedians going up first before the last dude. I'm like, yo, I'm ready to go. Like I'm not, I'm not waiting for all of these guys to go up and get time. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I know the laughs are going to be out of the room by the time I get up on stage. You know, people only going to sit there and laugh for a certain amount of time. But then again, going back to New York, it's a rotating audience sometimes in some rooms. And it's like, yo, you go up and you be like, yo, I'm going up at like eight o'clock. I mean, the show's still going on at two o'clock in the morning, but it's a whole different audience that was in there. And it's yeah. like, you know, I, I, that you envy stuff like that. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. So, you know, I just we, left Raleigh. That's crazy. Yeah, I know. When you said you said North Carolina, I went and checked. I was like, oh, I was like, he's in Raleigh. I was hoping you was going to be in Charlotte. But um, yeah, I've been. That's where I started, and I appreciate starting in Charlotte because I felt like um, the South, the Bible Belt, helped me in a different way as far as getting tough in comedy and writing Universal, if you will. Like you, I know what's funny to me. I know what's funny was being a black man. I know what's funny how I came up. But telling that to a group of conservative white people. You got to figure out how they how you gonna get them on these on your side to be able to say, all right, this is how I'm gonna tell this joke. This is how I'm gonna get to your side for you to understand that we all the same. And it's like um, I've done I've done a lot of mainstream rooms in the beginning, but my workout room was an urban room, right? 
So the yin and the yang of that was, if I can get them to laugh at the urban room, it's going to kill at the mainstream room. But the jokes I was telling wasn't for black people. It was just jokes. Right. And right. Like, like a lot of my OGs, like D.S. Sanders and, um, you know, Tone X and, and Chris Funny Man, those cats would be like, yo, don't change your style. Like, don't write different. Like, keep writing the same way you write. Yeah. Like, I wish I had did that when I started. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. But see, so, people got to make, you know why they tell you that is because <clears throat> comedy is stand up anyway, is we're, we're all our own people. We're all, all individual identities. And you got to bring them into your world. So they can relate. It's it's things that we all do. And then there's things that's in your world. The things in your world, once you set it up, like, this is me. This is how I grew up. This is what, you know, my life is like. And then you go into your storytelling about you. Now they can relate. Because now they know, oh, okay, he's not saying us and our suburbs. He's saying this is him. So now it's like watching a sitcom. I'm watching your story. I mean, right. and if there's funny things in your story, you get the laugh. It's just that simple. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's how, you know, stand-up works when it comes to that. So it's, it makes all the sense in what. That's why they tell you, don't change your stuff. That's your story. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you, if you keep changing and editing, thinking to how do I, you know, fit for this crowd, you know, A, you're never going to find yourself. B, mm-hmm. you're never going to have any stability because you're hopping around. It ain't no different than finding a place to live or a job. Yeah. What the when you go for a job interview, the first thing they do is look how many times you hopped around. They like, yo, <laughs> four jobs in six months. What's good? Absolutely. So, so let me ask you this, and I, you know, I, I don't. I mean, I've scoured the internet. I look at a lot of different things. How did you get your start? Like, how did how did it happen? Um, I knew as a, the funny thing is, I already knew as a little kid I was do this. I just didn't understand that it was an actual career path, I thought it was a hobby. You know, as a kid looking at it, I thought it was a hobby, and I'm like, oh, I can't wait to retire from a real job and do that. That's going to be a great hobby the rest of my life, right? And what happened was the big boom, I call it the big black boom happened. Def Comedy Jam happened. Yeah. And it changed comedy forever as we know it. Right. Uh, it became the number one comedy vehicle in the world. People wanted to see that above anything. And when I seen that, then I was like, oh, it changed the view because it was like, oh, I ain't got to wait that long because these dudes are young. Look at these young dudes. It was the first time seeing young dudes do stand-up because we grew up on the Priors and the Flip Cosby, yeah. and, the mm-hmm. and the Cosby. So to see this was like, oh, well, now in my mind, it said, oh, I, I think I'm going to do this sometime soon. I still don't get that it's a career. And then a good friend of mine who grew up in the project, one of the buildings next over from mine in Mount Vernon, who we all know affectionately as J.D. Smooth. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. You know, we grew up in the same projects. So J.B. had a room, like, near, you know, on the border of our hometown, Mount Vernon. And he, he was he was in a plot park promoting it with little paper flyers, like, hey, Sunday, man, I'm doing stuff. It's called the Lady Eye. It was like a bar. But in the back of the bar, it was like a comedy club. He was like, you know, it was called, you know, Lady Eye. Everybody knew where it was. He was like, yo, Sunday at 730, blah, 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 blah. So me and my boys, we go there, you know, because we all grew up want to support. And I really enjoyed it. And I'm looking at cats like, that's what I'm talking about. That's, that's you know, I'm looking at this perfect set put together, beginning to end, crowd taking the ride. I'm like, that's what I'm trying to do. And, you know, he said they had the, what they call the New Jack segment. They want to grab two people, give them about three minutes to get up there, see if they're funny. People that think they want to do this. So he was like, T, you know, he know me from the from the projects and yeah. snap and the parts and playing the dozens. And, you know, he's like, oh, you, you know, y'all, y'all always joking, get up there, try it. And I was like, nah, I'm good, you know. And I remember going one Sunday, it might have been the second time going, and we're sitting kind of in the front, me and my boy, who, were, you know, we snapped together, grew up together, and hamburgers on stage. And my boy starts to, you know, heckle him, not, not real loud, but like some under the breath stuff. And Hamburger looks at the table. He knows the table is coming from, but it's just two of us there. But in Hamburger's mind, it's me. And I'm like, bro, it ain't me. I'm telling you, it ain't me. Without snitching, it, I, I'm dry snitching. If I say it ain't me, and there's two of us at the table, stubborn it. <laughs> so, he, he, you know, you can't tell him to this day it wasn't me, right? We go outside, right. and now he snaps on me, you know, so the crowd's laughing. Obviously, the professional got the mic. I said, okay. So I'll wait for him outside. He come outside. You know, you wait for somebody to beat him up. I'm waiting. Yeah. 
<laughs> and we get into a little snap battle outside, and I do, you know, really well. So he just looking at me like, you're a funny dude, man. You should probably blah, blah, blah. So a week or two after that, I took the little New Jack spot with three minutes. Yeah. You know, I did very well. It took a little two, three minutes. I came back the following week, two, three minutes. I came back. Both of them weeks went well. I tried to come back the third time. And, and JB's promoter was like, bro, bro, let somebody else go. You know, you, you did two weeks in a row. And I was offended. So I now it forced me to look outside of my bubble and find the Uptown Comedy Club, which is in Harlem. Right. And it forced me to start networking and rub elbows with these comedians and these aspiring comics. And I started, that's how I found all the spots. That's how I got into it. But JB that's Smoke, dope. Yeah. State the very first time. That's dope, man. It, it's um, it's a it's a comforting feeling when you get up there. Cause I tell people all the time, they go, "Man, I don't know how you do it." I go, "Let me tell you something. It is different up there. Like it's it's different up there. Then it, it look it look easy. You know what I mean? And I appreciate the craft that that many of us have that allow people to think it's easy. And then when they get up there, they go, "Man, they told me to do three minutes. Man, I thought I was up there for twenty. I was like, you was up there for a minute forty five, and you you bolted early. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I tell them all the time." I said, ain't nothing longer than a, than, a, than a punchline with no laugh. Ain't nothing longer than that. You understand what I'm saying? So it's it's funny when I tell people, you know, when they go, how can I get started? I go, listen, write down five minutes worth of material. Make sure it's six, just, just in case. I said, just write it out. Test right. it. Practice in the mirror. I said, then go to open mic and do it. Man, y'all don't just go up there and talk? I said, no, nah, hell no. Nah. Don't go up there and just talk. I said, when you become a veteran, yeah, you go up there and talk bullshit for the first five minutes or whatever, do whatever you want to do, whatever, talk about some local references or whatever, talk about people in the audience and then get into your material. I said, but, you know, when you get to be a great comedian, you might go up there and think you're going to do a set and you might bullshit for the whole time and tell two jokes. <laughs> I said, but that takes... Bye. That takes a, a part to put in talent. Like it takes time yeah. to be able to develop your set to do that. And I've I've done sets before. You have you've done sets before, and all of a sudden you go, man, let me stop fucking around and, and get to these jokes. You know what I mean? <laughs> it is it's thirty five minutes yo, into the set. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I just did that. That's the, yo I, in rally, right? That's, yeah. Don't, don't get me wrong. The, the show ended up being stupendous, but we're coming off of. I think I was on show 16 in like something like nine days, right? Jeez. Yeah. I'm on show 16 in nine, 10 days. So this is the last show to close out what I call this, this run. Yeah. And I don't know where I'm just, I'm hitting that wall. I'm just like tired. I don't, you know, I'm not feeling it. And and I'm going up in about 15 minutes. I'm sitting there like, I want to, you know, and I just, I stood up, I started pacing because I'm like, though, the more I sit down, the more tired I get. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I don't drink my, my, you know, usually I drink my tequila, my vaccine. I stop drinking. I'm like, cause I'm, again, I'm going to get tired to relax. I'm going to be that guy sitting on the stool for 40 minutes. Right. So I started pacing, whatever. And when I went up, the energy of the crowd, and I was really like just monologuing, going through my first 10 minutes, just shit I know I could just say. Right. And wasn't really into it, but I got that second win 12 minutes in, and then I started plowing into the that's let me get into these jokes now, you know, blah blah blah, taking them on a the ride and destroyed it. But we're gonna have those moments where, you know, we hit the, the wall. Like we're coming, we're fresh in the middle of this pandemic thing. Mm-hmm. And I told dude, I told my barber that there was a barbershop. He was like, damn, you know, I ain't seen you in a couple. I said, you know, you know I'm gone when you don't see me on a Tuesday morning. You know, I'm going, I'm not in town. I said, he said, Dan, you know, you, you working your ass off. Like, I said, yeah, they calling me like it ain't no more comedians out there. Right? Oh, you did it. <laughs> I, feel like that guy, I feel like that guy at the job, if you look over at the, the co-workers, tell them you ain't doing shit. You don't do nothing. <laughs> you don't do nothing today. You got to do everything. Right, like, right. You know what I mean? But it's a blessing and a curse. Like, you got to realize, man, we are blessed that we are getting those calls because it could easily be the other way. One thing that the, the COVID and the pandemic did, it shifted the, the parameters of time. Yeah. Like everything we've gotten used to over all these years don't even mean the same. Uh, we started to throw more shows on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesday, and people gravitate and go out to them. You know what I mean? And, and it didn't matter because people were so mad at being in the house. 
So yeah. we go on Monday, they was going. Same thing when you do shows, weekends, and multiple shows. That early show now sells out. It used to be the late show sellout first. You had to push people to the early show. Remember that? Yes, Saturday, sir. Like, hey, man, come on to the 730, please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, you like this, come to the late show, please. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a good thing, bro. But, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm, 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 I knock on wood all the time because I'm never complaining about it, no matter how tired and how much work I got to do. But what I do learn is when I look at, when I do what I do, and I look at my comrades or I pull them along with me and everything, everybody ain't built for this shit. Not the full job. Nah, nah, man. It's, um, you know, you can say you want certain things, right? But when you get it, you, you got to realize that you asked for it. And somebody asked me, what would make you ultimately happy in comedy? Because a lot of people say, are you ultimately trying to get here? Are you ultimately trying to get there? Or where are you trying to get in comedy? I want to be able to work when I I want to be able to work three weeks out of the month. That's what I want. I want to be able to call and say, can I get this date up? Oh, yeah, you good. Can I get this date? Yeah, you good. Can I get this date? Yeah. Can we get this date? Nah, I'm off that, that week. Like, I, that's what I want right. ultimately. Right. Because I think right. mentally I'll be able to handle it. And then financially I'll be, I'll be set. The crazy thing about it is somebody goes, what if you get that? Then you go, you talk about what you just did, sixteen shows right. in nine days, and you go, ah, "That's what the fuck I just asked for, though." Like, like that's like, what do you like? <laughs> you talk about nine days. You say how many shows? You said nine days. You understand know what I'm saying? So it's 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 ultimately you want to be that talented to be able to say, "All right, we we are going to bring you." The point that you made earlier, though, that I have resentment for is when you said, "I mean, you know, other comedians out here." What I dislike about what happened in the pandemic is these mainstream clubs took advantage of the fact that the black comedians was like, yo, we working. And they gave them all the weekends they wanted. Look at look at look at any comedy club you want to and look at their bills for the next three or four weeks. It's black headliners throughout their calendar. But you know the why? pandemic wasn't on. When the pandemic wasn't on, you got all these no-name cats that don't nobody know. Black people getting nigga night. Like, they getting Wednesday, Thursday, Tuesday. Yeah, one-nighters. But you want to take them and give them the weekend now that the pandemic is on, but you won't give them the weekend during the regular year. And and, and I, I resent it, man, because I just, like, I feel like we deserve better. Because you know we the ones that sell the tickets we the ones that bring the show and your boy that you got coming off of, I don't know, the show on TBS, he ain't selling the tickets like y'all think he is. Y'all paper in the room, but y'all y'all just don't want us in it. And I, it's, it's, it's frustrating, man. It really is because, you know, I'm in a space right now where, where I headline, you know, B and C rooms, but A rooms, they want me to feature. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to smoke this dude. I'm going to smoke this guy. You know right. what I mean? And I'm like, but they're like, yeah, but you won't sell the tickets. I'm like, yeah, but guess what? By the time I get done, they're going to say, yeah, we came to see him, but who is that dude? Yeah, and that's what you got to do. That's what, yeah. that, that's what that slot is for, is for you to kick in the door and wave in the 4-4. Like, right. you, that, that's how we all come up. Um, right. But this is, this is here's the thing. And, and I'm, I'm uh, pretty much, you know, 50-50 tiffed and piffed like you over the way it's done. Mm-hmm. But this is partially our fault. Why are we not going and looking into our own ownership? Right. We got to own shit. When you hear, right. we hear this all the time, but we don't adhere to it. Right. We hear all the time, bro, you got to own shit. How come we can understand slowly but surely this when it comes to housing, but we don't understand business? The same way you got to own your own house, like you paying rent, right? Your rent is $2,000 a month. You go get a house, and then you're in a little apartment. You go get a house, which is 10 times bigger, and you're paying that same 2000 but this is a mortgage towards something you own. Right. And you're getting more bang for your buck. Now you got a yard. Now you got grass. Now you got a pool. Now you got three more bedrooms. Now you got this, that, and the third. Because now you own it. Same thing with the comedy club. We, you know, we can't expect them to do or treat us fair and do fair business because it's not who they are. Right. This is called a spade to spade. It's not who they are, and it's not why they got in business. They got in business to run that shit the way they run it and to, to make money off the backs of others. And this, to go back to what I said before, this is why Def Jam changed the game. Yeah. Because before Def Jam came along, 
that's how they ran all 100% of the comedy clubs across the nation. But Def Jam came along and people, that demand shifted, 50% of those clubs closed. So yeah. the only ones that's still here are the ones that had to go to Black Knight, like you said, or Urban Knight, or start, oh, Tommy Davidson, oh, uh, The Wayans, oh, Earthquake, oh, Bruce Bruce, oh, Talent, oh, uh, uh, Melanie Camacho, oh, Adele Gibbons. They had to do that because now I have to stay in business. Yeah. And yes, we are black money. We already know how the black dollar does in this country. Right. You know, it's the only the others that try to act like they don't know. We know because yeah. our houses are filled with all the bullshit. All the- every every <laughs> big cloud, they got the Louis Vuitton, the Red Bottoms, the, the Sergio Vizinces, and the. <laughs> you know I mean? Right, 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 right. So we so, know about the black dollar. Yeah, the black dollar is is, is insane. Um, let me let me ask you this: so everybody has a group that they come up with in the game, and you mentioned JB Smooth. Did you have a crew that just you came up through the ranks with? But New York is a little bit different. But did you have a crew that you came up with? I know yeah. you're on tour. I know you uh, tour a lot with uh, with with Mark and Drew and and uh, yeah, that that came up. That came after the fact. I think I think the, the clicks was it's an era thing. Um, yeah. it's not a, not so much a city thing, but an era thing. Um, we were coming off the hip hop era in the '90s, so clicks was it. I don't care. Like when I went to Atlanta. There were certain clicks. When I went to Chicago, it was clicks. Charlotte, it was clicks. Um, the clicks were bigger in New York because we got more people, but clicks nevertheless. When I came up, my click was Ian Edwards, no, okay. Will Sylvance, Artie okay. Fuqua, myself, and this dude named Xavier. Mm-hmm. We called him X. Um, that was our click click. Like, and then as time went on, Patrice O'Neill kind of got in the click because of uh we all we had this one apartment a duplex in jersey city actually will had it and then we all kind of moved in became roommates yeah uh, so patrice moved in he became a roommate uh now you go down the line now rudy rush is part of our click yeah uh, you know what i mean so the click you know we're fluctuating people come in kenny williams you know but the original click was me ian will artie fuqua and uh xavier that's dope I, that's a that's a dope lineup, man. As far as stability, uh, cats that's, that's beasting like that. I think one of the things that I always remember, and I don't know who brings it up to you, but um, the 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 skit you did on the Fuji's album, oh yeah, <laughs> the Chinese restaurant. When I tell you that shit made me laugh, no matter how many times I hear that shit, and I'm wondering like now the fact that. They got TikTok. Like, does pe- do people reenact that? Like, that's one of the ones that should be reenacted, like, to a T, when my man was like, what are you hopping over the counter for? And I was like, yo, yo, that joint made me laugh. I think I was, I mean, that was like a summer. It was summer. I was in college. Fuji album came out. I was doing an internship in Atlantic City, New Jersey. And, oh, I, man, I was like, yo, listen to this. Yo, and they was like, yo, you wild. And I was like, yo, this joint is mad funny. You know what I mean? It was just. Just one of those things, man. But how did how did you get pulled into that? And I was like, <laughs> well, in Jersey, uh, do you remember the Peppermint Lounge? Yeah, that was the one that Bill Bellamy uh, used to host, yeah, right? Bill, okay. Bill was the original host. Um, and you know, I took up after Bill moved to LA, he passed me the baton. You know, took over hosting. But before I was hosting, I would host sporadically and perform the whole time. Shout out to Bob Sumner, that was his New York comedy nights venue, and. Anybody that's been there know that on Thursday night, it was star-studded. Yeah. From hip-hop to NFL to NBA to actors to whatever. Like, they, they stayed in there on Thursday night. So, the Fuji's lived around the area. So, yeah. they didn't even... The funny thing is, they were... they. I think they had, like, a single or something, but it wasn't really out yet. Yeah. And they were being there faithfully on Thursday. So, one Thursday, we were joking with Clef and them, and Clef is like, yeah. Yo, what y'all doing right now? And we was like, it's like one of the boys, like nothing. It's like, yo, come around the corner to the studio, man. Let's let's play around, man. Fuck around some shit. And we like, well, what do you want us to do? And he was like, I don't know. Let's just we'll come up with something, you know. And we get in there, we just start making stuff up and goofing around. And yeah. came up with these sketches, right? So we ain't really thinking nothing of it. Next thing you know, the album they dropped the album. The album's the number one selling hip hop album. Yes, and shit and. And we like, oh shit! So we get the album, but not because we know we own it. We get the album because the song they hot, you know what I mean? Right. And we hear our skits, and we're like, oh shit, right? But we did it out of love. Not one time did somebody say, "Yo, 
you know, we should get paid for this shit, you know. Because right, we right. know we went in there on some love shit. Right, and right. Fast forward, the shit goes whatever platinum, you know, we get a call from uh, Clef and them like, um, whatever the record labels, yo, they're Columbia and I'm going to be calling y'all, whatever. And we get the call, we go down there and they cut checks, you know, uh, for writing kids. That's yeah. super dope because they didn't have to do that. You yeah. know what I mean? So we now that to- I think about it now, so I hear your voice in it, but then you say you think, so that Ian was on there too? Uh, no, on that the was skit, you. Yeah. it was uh, Comedian Jay from Jersey. Okay. It was, it was me and Will. Oh, Will, okay. Uh, Xavier was on that. I remember Xavier. Xavier okay. Oh, my God, dude. That that thing was so funny. And it, like, <laughs> like, you know, I'm a stickler for silly shit. So, like, you know, I play shit over and over and over again. I'm trying to explain to people. And they're like, yo, why are you laughing so hard? Like, because why is dudes singing You Are Not Alone when they walked into that show? <laughs> and they was like, <laughs> and they was like, yo, I never even heard that. I was like, yo, you got to hear that dumb shit, yo. That's what funny is. <laughs> See, that's the, that's the shit that was making me laugh. Like, with the little shit. Like, if you really listen. <laughs> right, right. Like, you're the, he's humming You Are Not Alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i said yo that joy is so funny man but that's like one of those things where you know you get you fall into a situation and and i told i tell people all the time like uh you got to give people you know people always say you got to give people their flowers you go but you got to realize that you not knowing that you have such an impact on so many comedians that they probably won't even get a chance to tell you what it was for you to be in the presence or them to be in a show that you did. So me seeing you at the laugh house in Philadelphia, put a little seed in my head to go, yo, that might be kind of dope to do that. Right. Fast forward a couple of years. There was a friend of mine, uh, Nate Maddox, who used to do shows in Camden, New Jersey. And people used to flow through there. And you can you was another one that came, you and JB Smooth used to come through there. Yeah. We used to see Kevin Hart, JB Smooth, some more. We used to see all of them come through this one little spot in Camden. And I'm like, yo, I look at it now and I go, we were sitting in the front row of these damn shows. You know what I mean? And we looking at the like, and y'all was just, y'all was just chilling. Y'all like, yo, this is a check. We about to come down here and tell these jokes. Room full of black people. We're going to have a good time and we're going to get up out of here. And it was just like, I never knew that that was planting a seed in my head. And, uh, you know, 2005, I stepped on stage and I was like, yo, this is it. I was like, this is it. Like, I, I remember not going to bed till about 4.30 that morning. Ain't that I was crazy? high off the adrenaline. And I still yo, get like crazy, that. Man. I still I'm get the same way. Like, when I look yeah. back, bro, like, and, and the good thing is, it's, too, it's, just, it's like a catch-22. It's like, you know, people look at what you do, and they look at the longevity and the time, and they like, yo, you should have savored this or savored that. Like, But the funny thing, the real thing is, if you can sit in the in the moment in real time and savor every little thing, right. then you're really not focused on the journey, like where you're trying to end up. It's like you, you said, yo, my goal is to, if I could, you know, work three weeks out of the month or whatever. Like my goal was never, it, it summed up in work. Cause you gotta, you gotta, you gotta understand, like, I didn't really look at it like that. First of all, I'm the, I'm the guy that didn't even know it was a, a damn career in the beginning. Right. My thing was once I started doing it, and once I had a taste of the funny, meaning I wasn't just up on the stage, one part of the thing, I was funny. And once I got that little taste, I was like, yo, you funny. Like, and you're not really applying yet. I, I hunkered down. I would say I probably bullshitted uh, <laughs> first three, four years. After that, yeah. it was like foot to the gas, to the metal, pedal to the metal type thing, horse blinders on. Boom. Now I got my goal in my head. I want to be the funniest dude to do this. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want, I want that. I want, and, 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 and fast forward and like this year makes my 30th anniversary, 30 years in the game. That's amazing. And when people talk to me or talk of me or at me, you know, the goat is thrown out there and whether I'm the goat or not is irrelevant. The biggest picture is that I'm in the conversation. So that means I did what I set out to do. When you set out to be, be funniest, in our culture, what is the GOAT? It's the greatest of all time. Yeah. So to be in that conversation, because there is no right answer. What you got to realize is, in the court of public opinion, we sit here right now, people who love Cosby will argue with you, or Cosby, Richard Pratt. And the same thing with anything else. People will argue with you, LeBron or Michael Jordan. Yeah. You know, Magic or, or John Stock. Like, you know, people are going to have those arguments. But I think we need to stop stopping and smelling those roses 
is the acknowledgement of yo, you in the conversation. Oh yeah, and you need and it's funny. It's like uh, it's funny like some cats will get offended when you not mention like yo, who, who you gonna talk about? You know what I mean? Y'all ain't gonna mention you know because you know people understand that comedy is subjective. You know what I mean? People connect probably with you more because you probably more down to earth. Like you don't have this air about you that you you know above everybody. Case in point, you don't know me from Adam. I sent you a message like, yo, yo, OG, can you can you come on my podcast? You were like, yo, no doubt. And I'm like, this right here, that's what I'm talking about. You know how I got it. <laughs> I yeah, reached out to some mean, dude, the dude told me I charged. You know what I mean? I'm like, a, what? That's a big mistake. Like, right. when cats choose to be that way, mm-hmm. or maybe some of them naturally are that way, either way, I can guarantee you that's a big mistake because we yeah. go back to what we said two times already, relatability. If the people can't relate to you, they start to dump off. I know some funny cats that fans wither away slowly but surely because of how they are. Yeah. yeah he's funny, but he's an asshole. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's funny, but one time he blah, blah, blah. I remember selling merch next to somebody at a show. And we're right side by side, selling our T-shirts, hats and stuff. And uh, the lady buy two T-shirts over there. Probably wasn't even going to buy mine because she bought two next his first. And said, thank you. Can I take a picture? And he was like, nah, you know, I'm busy. I'm selling the bird. And the way he did that, she was like, give my, give my fucking money back. Wow. Turned <laughs> right to me and said, I can take a picture with you, right? I said, oh, thanks. She was like, let me get two of your shirts. Yeah. I was like, the difference. And that was just merch. But I'm sure going forward, that stain is remembered in that fan's head. Like, so now when the flyer comes up in your next show, eh, I'm going to skip that. Yeah. But the flyer mine come up the next show, like, let's go to that. Yeah. That, that's the difference maker of that. Like, I have that, I used to have that pet peeve about, you know, just as a comedy fan, because I'm a fan of this shit first. I have that about comics who sit on a stool the whole time. Yeah. I mean, no disrespect, but I just feel, it, I feel a certain way. I feel like, when people pay money to see you, I feel mm-hmm. like they expect something and we got to deliver something. I think if you sit down, there's something in there that gives off that little indication of whatever, that whateverness. I'm better and than you. If I'm in the audience and I pay $50, I'm like, this thing ain't going to stand up. <laughs> I just paid $50 so be so late. They flip through the fucking thing. This thing can't stand Right, right. <laughs> That's a, so I had um, I had um, I had Ali Ali Sadiq on. So I said I, we talked about that, right? right. So Ali said he did it as an homage to Bill Cosby because like, Bill Cosby had did it so many years before, and he basically was giving an homage to him because he was the only one he ever saw do it before. So then okay. he said, "Yo, people be in the audience like, yo, you sitting down?" He's like, "Uh, first of all, ma'am, uh, you sitting down?" And I started buzzing out laughing. I said, "Yo, that's so funny as hell, yo." No, but He's see, like, now, <laughs> I will say this. I will say this. Sadiq, my boy yeah. Ali, is he's an exception to the rule because he's a storyteller. Yeah, he, but but he make it work. He do, man. By, by by five minutes of him talking, you forget he's sitting there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, that's the difference. <laughs> two, two dudes I've seen let me, that comes to mind that mm-hmm. I like. Let's say I see ten dudes sit down. Eight yeah. of them, I, I I can feel it. That means you're not you're not pulling it off. You're not funny enough that I'm concentrating on being disrespected right. by you sitting there. Right. But when I see like a Mike Yard, right? Yeah. And I see like an Ali Sadiq sit down. Two, three minutes, you forget they sitting there. Right. They pull that shit off. Right. I think another you know I mean? one I can mention is uh, Big J Overson. Because yeah. he does so much crowd work. And he's basically, he's turning while he's sitting, but he's talking to people like, yo, what are you, what's the situation right here? You know what I mean? It's like a, it's like a conversation. You know what I mean? He's well, maybe, not. Maybe, maybe these guys are tired. <laughs> you right? Well, we get, we getting up there in age. I, I'm, not, I'm not fooling nobody. You know what I mean? I even stopped dying a bit. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't care what they no more. You listen, know what I mean? Let me tell you something. I'm, I'm 52, but I, listen, yeah. I'm up there working at dawn. I don't care how much I sweat about it. If the room is hot and I'm sweating, like I did a couple of hot rooms in the last week. I'm like, whatever. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm going, I'm, I'm with, like, I feel like when I clock in, I'm working. Until Time I'm work. not working, yeah. I'm working. So I don't care if I got to walk over here. I don't care if I got to do this, jump out of that. I don't care if I got to have an extra bottle of water, whatever. Like, that's just me. But yeah. I will say, you got a couple of dudes, exception to that rule, that pull it off so good that 
you're watching that show and you forget they're sitting down. Absolutely. But if I'm sitting there fixated and keep saying to myself, oh, it's going to sit down. Tell me you ain't pulling it off. You're not. You especially especially if, somebody, yeah, if somebody's talking about it more than they talk, listening to your jokes. Um, let's talk about the kids, man. Five, right? Six. Six kids. Six kids. I got one delivered recently from FedEx. So <laughs> it, it, it was five before this package came. No. Um yeah, six. I got three girls and three boys. Man. What I did was I had I had struggled with even though I knew I had six technically, uh-huh. I really struggled with dealing with that because the way my oldest daughter came to me. Like, uh-huh. Not that she came to me, but like her mom, the way her mom did that. Yeah. Mom did the shicey shit, whatever. So mm-hmm. once that I was trying to have that relationship to me, I felt like uh, it wasn't being reciprocated on the other side. So I'm like, fuck it. You know what I mean? I, I hate to walk around. Yeah, six kids. And I can't pr- I can't produce six if I need to. You know, bring them all together. Like, ah, is, she don't fuck with me. You know, <laughs> you know so it was dealt with mutually, but it's six. It's three girls, three boys. Um, mm. My daughter's, my oldest is, I got 30, um, eight, 19 now, 19 and 13 mm. are my daughters. Yeah. My son is 28, should be on on 29. No, he might have just turn 29 because his birthday is July 27th. So 29, 25, going up, about to be 26. And then 20, that'll be 21. Those are the boys. Nice. Um, no, I, lo- I love my kids, man. Like, they they are all somehow in some form of fashion dad. Like, yeah. everything that I was is, is in these kids. Like, my yeah. daughter loves to dance. She loves music and singing and all that dance. She got that. Uh, my youngest son, he got the artistic side. This dude got his own cartoon line, animation line. He's been working on for years. You know, he's a, he's animated. He, you know, he does it from scratch. He's dope. Uh, you know, my other son, you know, he went into the barber trade and the heck I did that all through my high school years and a little bit beyond. You know, the, the oldest boy, you know, talent is, you know, who's named talent uh-huh. is just three, almost three and a half, four years into comedy stand up. He's, he's nice. You know, he's better than I was three years in. Um, yeah. so you got the comedian, music guy. You got the, you know, artist guy, you got the haircut guy, and then the girls. Like I said, my daughter with the dancing music. I was a rapper. I danced, broke dance, all that stuff. In right. the, middle, the other daughter, you know, she's a socialite. She's very, uh, you know, a, you know, what do you call it? Academic driven. You know what I mean? And then the oldest, the oldest daughter, she's back in music too. She's singer, songwriter. You know, I mean, so everything is, is cut from that same cloth. It's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy to see that. Uh, I have twin. I have twin girls that are thirteen, um, and I got one that look like me and act like me. And I and you know you try to cut it off at the path like yo stop that dumb shit right now like don't like <laughs> but it's like it's funny because you know their mom was like no let them be with they who they are you know and stuff like that but I'm basically like nah this she play too much you know it's like, you know and I'm trying to dial it back some you know what I mean but to see to have a son that goes into something that you done for so many years actually as long as he's been living right and it's amazing but it's like how how far removed are you from that like do you want to go in and grab like hey hey but then you just like now i'm gonna be hands off of that you know what i mean is it like do you go in and help do you do you just kind of admire from afar and let them go through the bumps and bruises themselves or or how does that usually work but uh nah they're good you're good damn dogs down there making noise (laughs) okay all right, so what I was asking was um, your son, now him doing comedy. Do you feel like you are you are you pulling back from jumping in and and, and interfering and, and giving advice, or are you just kind of like hands off, like let me see how he do? Well, it's too late for that. I did that the first year. Um, yeah, yeah. When he first went into it, he sent me. I was on the road, and how you know it happened. He told me you know he's dabbling or whatever, but he sent me a, a, a clip. Little seven minutes he did at a comedy club. And I was like, I actually was waking up. I clicked the click because I thought, you know, when my son, I thought it was uh, actually because he was doing music first. I thought it was like a music video or something. And I'm like, oh, shit. And I'm like, and I'm watching it. And I'm, he made me laugh. Yeah. And the, here's the truth of the matter is, this was around the same time Dave Chappelle comes back, you know, a few years ago. 
Yeah. And he dropped those three specials. And right. out of the three, only one get, made me chuckle. You know what I mean? Like the other right, two right, right. like this. Right, right, right. So the one that made me chuckle, so when I get this clip shortly thereafter, and I'm laughing at this three, four, five times in this little six minutes, and I'm like, I'm like, this dude's funny. Like, yeah. he made me laugh, like, for real, for real. And I'm sitting here, I'm half asleep. So I was like, you know, something. So I told him, I said, yo, that was a real good clip, whatever, whatever. I said, I don't know how serious you are about it. I said, but, you know, I'll give you a year and see how serious you are. If I think that for that, then you can come to me. After that year, you can come to me for anything. And you're going to see me dropping jewels on you of stuff that I see in here or whatever. But I need to know that you're serious because this is what I do and have right. been doing, like you said, your whole life. Right. So now we bounce, you know, we do a lot of stuff. Like I put them on shows with me sometimes and, you know, I'll see things and go, hey, man, that was so, you know, add that, sprinkle that, boom, boom. I don't know. He's not, this is what I mean by he's better than me at three years because it's never been, I've never had to say, don't do that or that's whack or whatever. It's all good. Yeah. I may think of an embellishment or a word replacement that make it even, you know, give it a little more power and, and laugh. But other than that, he's on point. Yeah, and that's good. I think I think what benefits uh, the younger generation is the access that they have to be able to study it. Like, we didn't have that. I mean, we yeah. had they have we a had lot of tools. You yeah. physically had to go to those clubs and learn the the do's and the don'ts and the and the you know um, the joke thievery and the, <laughs> you know you doing somebody else's bit. You know now it's like yeah, man, it don't take long for somebody to be like, nah, 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 man. Here's the clip right here. You you got that from this right? You know what I mean? <laughs> It's, it's quick and that's why people it's easy for people to find themselves within their jokes be like that's yo true. the easiest thing to do is talk about your life man talk about yourself talk about your own personal opinion do not go on stage trying to sound like somebody else because it's never going to work it's never going to work it. you know what i mean that's um, the secret to success and that's and that's and that's the other thing i i i think one of the things that i almost appreciative of is somebody can never say i sound like somebody else they're like, yo, you sound like, and I go, you a damn lie. Is it because I don't, I don't sound like nobody? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, and uh, and your and yours is yours is specific too. I mean, I'm pretty sure you've run across your, um, I guess your uh, your imitators over the years, people that right. imitate your style, and and you had to kind of grin and bear it, or then had to like basically confront people. Like, listen, man, cut that out. Well, to be, to be honest, man, I am. The, uh, you know, I like to, you know, people refer to as a goat. I like to say the blueprint because I can't go into a comedy club these days and I hear a little bit of somewhere, some form of fashion. You right. know what I mean? If you got right. multiple comics in the building, I'm going to hear some talent isk. You know, if <laughs> if not a straight, full, stolen joke, I'm going to hear some isk. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, I had to, you had to mold yourself and change yourself and get to a point of I don't know, uh, looking at it more flattery than, than, than hate and mad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you sustain that time. What do you expect to happen? You know what I mean? Like yeah. if you're, you know how we always tell our kids to do one thing, but we doing another thing. How do you expect them not to, if they always see you doing that thing? Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Um, one of the things I like to do on the uh, Blizzard's Ignorant podcast, if you ever watch the, uh, films, uh, Actors Guild studio, with James Liston, ripped their best in peace, he would do fire off questions to their guests and they would just give the first answer that come to mind. So I've remixed it a little bit and uh, we'll go ahead and shoot off some for you right now. You, what's, your, uh, what's your favorite word? My favorite word is historic. Historic. Yeah. In like a it. sense of, yeah, so in a sense of just someone doing something, uh, you know, in, incredible or just the word itself? Well, it, yeah, it, it's something incredible mm. that was previously done that stood the test of time. time. Like we always look at movies and things like, does it stand up over time or did, yeah. was it just good that quick moment? You right. know what I mean? So right. when something historic is like, I right. love that. You know, that's, that's our whole being. Yeah, no doubt. Um, what's your least favorite word? Ah. Uh, <laughs> Stealing. Stealing. Yeah. My gotcha. least favorite word is stealing. I'm a comedian to the heart. I eat, sleep, and drink it. Yeah. And 
the worst word in stealing. Like if somebody yeah. steals, I don't care if you're stealing a few dollars, you're stealing someone's, like you said, livelihood, their jokes. Right. right. You know, uh, I just don't like underhanded stuff. Like I think everybody should work for this stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I have a, a, a phrase I use uh, very similar to what you've done with this comedy. I started with my first one of my first jokes I ever wrote. It's right behind me. It's TTBS. Hashtag TTBS. TTBS right. stands for anything and everything. Absolutely no control over your life. In other words, that's that bullshit. <laughs> so in, <laughs> in, in your mind, what would be TTBS to you? What's that bullshit to you? Um, there was a phrase that was often said early in, like in the eighties and nineties comedy for, mm -hmm. you know, they kept black comics at, at bay and they would say, uh, you get there, like, say you get to the club and then I get there five, ten minutes after they'd be like, we already got our black comic. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's that bullshit. Yo, I didn't have to live through that one, yo. That's bad, yo. <laughs> That's that bullshit. That's that is that was, yeah, that was a real deal. Like I, I couldn't that right <laughs> like racism in your face. Damn, bro. But you know, here, here's the thing, and I'm a I'm a sidebar for a second. Uh, I've had I've had an issue with uh, you know certain comedians for a while, and I'll I'll spare the names because I mentioned it before on my podcast before that just refuse to allow black comics to open for them, and they're black. And I think part of me is upset because I think every comedian, no matter where you are in your career, always needs to remember where you were when this person was there, too. Like, you've all been in that same spot within your right. life. You've been, right. a host. you've been an open micer. You've been a feature. You've been right on the cusp of feature and headliner. You've been a headliner. And, then you know, all of these things. So for you to think that, no, I don't want a black person to open up for me. Number one, I think that you might feel like all black people got the same material, which is wrong. And number two, you either want to pander to the room where you can only do black material and you know nobody else can do it. Or you don't want to work and you, you're, you're threatened by this young monster that might be coming up behind, in front of you. It's all a problem for me, but when I see certain comedians have it in their writer, like they have it in their contract, I'm done with them. Like I don't speak to them, I don't acknowledge them, I don't say anything to them. And it's uh it's it's disheartening, especially when you just said what you just said, we already got our black comic. Yeah, I, I agree with you hundred percent. We yeah. were just talking about that this weekend, and I pride myself on putting the heat in front of me. And, and the funny thing is, remember that show I told you I was so tired, I was burnt out? If I didn't have the heat in front of me, I would have gave them the, the very show that I told you I hated. I would have sat down on a stool, I would have did 20 minutes on, hey, how long you guys been together? <laughs> I really was, because that's where I was. And the only thing that kept that pushed me to push me was the heat in front of me. I made sure Corey Manning was the host. He was getting it. I made sure Aldo, who I keep Aldo with me because Aldo's the beast. You know, I met him doing the same thing I did. So I know that they're not going up there taking a day off or taking a set off. They're going to be like, and, and I tell them that. I encourage that. Bring that heat, bro. Yeah. You know, bring that heat. I don't care. Like, I think that's, and, and it's for the two reasons you said. It's because you may want to be the only person to talk about a certain thing. But more importantly, I think the number one thing is People don't want the heat in front of them. They want to look great. You want to look they great. They want to look great. That's that's it's amazing to me. I, I think uh, you know, iron sharpens iron, man. It's like I, I always want, I always want a dope person in front of me. Always. I don't care if it's the really? whole song has the feature. I'm like, yo, you killed that shit. But give me some, give me some highlights though. When you as we as we passing each other on the stage, because when I'm passing you, I want you to be like, yo, this on the right side, they wilding. On the left side, they dead. You know what I mean? Or whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? Right, oh, you got to kill it, my man. Like, all of those things help. All those things help. And, I, and yeah. if, if I see somebody come off stage and they just killed it, when I get on stage, first thing I'm saying is, give it up one more time for this motherfucker. Like, like that? Like that? <laughs> like, please acknowledge what the fuck one you just saw. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Because I'm like, yo, that was work. And let me go ahead and try to see what I'm about to do. You know what I mean? Right. I've, I've yep. done that line before too. Get on that headline and go. Technically, I'm supposed to be the funniest person, but we're gonna find out in the next three minutes. You know, it's like, yo, y'all can get get ready to laugh or be like, yo, I want the other guy to come back. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> it's just, it's 
what you going to do? Um, the other thing is uh, the opposite of uh, that's that bullshit is the shit. So what is the shit to you? Shit to me is uh, consistency. Um, that's the hardest part of the game. And not just for for the fan that constantly supports you to help you get where you're going, but more importantly for the artist. Uh, because let's let's face it, we're all human beings. We all have lives. We have kids. We have, we have all this regular living stuff that goes on in our life on a daily basis from the moment we wake up and lay it down. But we still got to go in there and be consistent. We still yeah. got to show up. Like all the bullshit, you know, I had to tell you to hold on and go tell these dogs to shut the hell up. Right. You know, that's you know, as soon as I get off of here, I got to feed them. I got to do my sports show. And I got to bathe them. And I mean, all that stuff got going. Then I got to start cleaning the house. All that got to go on all the way up until about 7 o'clock when I got to jump in the shower, get dressed, and go make some people laugh. And yeah. uh, long hours. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Every day is that. You know, if bar- barring yesterday, a travel day home, Tuesday I got to do that. Wednesday I got to do that. Thursday I got to do it. Friday I-, I should be done. So when I wake up, I go catch my plane. And go to D.C. and do it. And then Atlanta and all the other places that are lined up. But bottom line is, we have these other things that we are doing. We're fathers. We're brothers. Yeah. We're sisters and mothers. and We're everything. We're not one thing. Right. But we must come off like that. We must right. come off consistently as that powerful one thing to sustain any kind of consistency. Yeah, that's dope, man. That is the shit. Um, if, if no one know who you were... And I had to introduce you to the world. What's your walk on music? Um, probably hypnotize. Okay. Biggie. No I, go doubt. Up, I go up every time I can to hypnotize, obviously for to pay homage for Biggie, but yeah. more importantly, if you listen to the words, the beat is hype. Yeah. They come right on hot, sicker than your average. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the yes, sir. Yes, this is sir. New York King of Comedy, ladies and gentlemen. And you're going to give it up for talent. Boom. Hot, sicker than your average. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Good shit. Yeah. Um, if if you uh, retire tomorrow, right, what's your walk-off music after game? My walk-off music got to be like, uh, my joint got to be crazy. I don't know. It's, it's going to be, it's between James Brown uh-huh. And, 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 and Michael Jackson. Them two right there, I, I could pick a slew of songs and come out of there like, you know, James Bond. I, I could walk off the pop don't take no mess. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm sometimes just, I get, I get, yeah, sometimes I get my little element, man. I got to listen to James yeah. Bond a week, yo. Like, I, 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 yo, I, yo, I'm black and I'm proud. Pop don't take no mess. Big payback, all that. Yeah. I could grab a, a, a up-tempo mic joint, you know, the way you make me feel, yeah. You know, I what's the one with Chris Tucker? Remember the time. Remember the time. I, yeah. I didn't get so much stuff. Remember the time. Peace. Yeah, no doubt. No you doubt. Remember, he did this, no this, doubt. this, 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 this. No, no doubt. So yeah, it, it'll be a snatch of a toss up between those two. Yeah. So thirty years into the game, if you wasn't doing comedy, what do you think you would be doing? If I wasn't doing comedy, I'd be a veterinarian. Vet. So yeah. you said you got dogs. How many dogs you got right now? There's five big babies in here. Get the five out of big here. babies in here. Like, you got five dogs, man. <laughs> big ones. Oh, I, don't, I don't have five Yorkies. You got like kind of kind of queso. What do you got? What do you got? Yeah, Corsos. I got three, I got three uh, King, King King Corsos and uh-huh. two pits. I, I used to have five pits, and then you know over time it died. So these yeah. are these are young dogs. Like the one is four. Uh, two or two, one is one, and then I still got with my OG in the room, the watchdog. He's fourteen. He's still like somebody He's here. still holding on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he trying to throw you off like he ain't fourteen. Nigga. He's fourteen. <laughs> to be nice. No doubt, man. Hey, man, dude, it's been a pleasure, man. I appreciate you taking the time, man, and chopping it up with me, man. Uh, this is probably one of, one of the most memorable ones I've had, and uh, I do appreciate the fact that you was just able to be like, "Yo, bro, got you. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna jump on." Hey, listen, man, this just pay it forward. The way I am, be that way. No doubt, no doubt, All man. Right. So, yeah, man, I appreciate you, man, and uh, and I will definitely uh, be back in contact with you soon. All right, everybody out there, man, remember, they were one rule of life. Don't take all this shit personal. It's just comedy. No doubt, no doubt.
Oh, my God.